0: We begin a brand new sermon series entitled, Thriving in Hard Times. We are living in hard times and they're going to get harder. But God doesn't want us to be defeated in hard times. He wants us to be victorious. He doesn't want us to be barren in hard times. He wants us to be fruitful. He doesn't want us to be failures in hard times. He wants us to be successful. And so in the next 8 to 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at issues that we're going to have to deal with in the hard times. And I hope that we will take what we hear. We will listen. We will apply that we might learn how not just to survive in hard times, but remember the word thrive. Thrive. Matthew chapter 5 Beginning with verse 21, the Lord Jesus speaking, and what many people believe to be the greatest sermon he ever preached. I might also add, it's probably the least understood sermon he ever preached. as there's lots of people who are confused about what He meant. May I say to you, what Jesus says is what He means. He's pretty plain and simple when he speaks. I may also say, not only is this the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, not only is it the, least, um, the, the most misunderstood sermon he ever preached, but it's probably the most disobeyed sermon he ever preached. As he got a lot of amens, but not a lot of action out of those amens. Verse 21 of Matthew 5, Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said by them of old time that thou shalt not murder, and whosoever shall murder shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of that judgment too. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, lead there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, And then come and offer the gift. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking primarily to two types of people. He's first of all speaking to committed followers. Men and women, teenagers, who came to listen to him speak because they had an open mind, an open heart, And they wanted to learn the truth and they wanted to live the truth. Some of you here this morning are committed followers of Christ. And you've come to Sunday school, you've come to worship, you're listening to the preaching. You're going to be in a small group later or a discipleship group later or some type of other group later where you can have your mind and heart touched with the truth of God and you can live that truth out in your life. And I thank God for committed followers. And there were some committed followers that day when Jesus is going to bring this sermon. But there was also some curious fans there. Perhaps they came because Jesus was a novelty in his day. Perhaps they came because they wanted some groceries. You know, Jesus did feed people. Maybe, maybe they were Baptists who liked to eat, I don't know. Maybe they came because they wanted Jesus to pull a rabbit out of his hat. Miracle. For whatever reason, when Jesus spoke, there was always committed followers, but there was always curious fans. Again, they would just drop in, foam up, and fizzle out. Alka-Seltzer Christians. And some of you might be in that category too, and I pray you move out of it. But Jesus is bringing the sermon. And he's talking about conflict in this portion of the message. Conflict. Now, someone has wisely said, where two or more are gathered together in Jesus' name, you will eventually have conflict. Conflict among people is nothing new. Adam and Eve had conflict. Remember when... Eve ate of the fruit, gave it to Adam. Adam ate of the fruit. The Lord came. There was conflict between Adam and Eve over whose fault it was. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent couldn't do anything about that because he didn't have a leg to stand on. But conflict between Adam and Eve, well, it it took place. And then that conflict followed over to their children, Cain and Abel. They had conflict. And that conflict is still going on today. Some of you right now, looking at me, are in conflict with somebody. Maybe it's a new conflict. Maybe it's just a rehashing of a conflict that took place many years ago. Maybe it's an old conflict. I don't know. But I know this. Conflict is everywhere. And Jesus said, as the end draws near, the conflict that we will see will increase and intensify. It's not going to get any better. Nations are going to be in conflict. People groups are going to be in conflict. Economic classes will be in conflict. Political parties will be in conflict. Family units and individuals are going to be in conflict. And that conflict will be in the world. And sadly to say, that conflict will be in the church. So I think it's very important that we listen to what Jesus has to say about how to avoid conflict. How to handle conflict. How to resolve conflict. Because it's all around us. And eventually, you're going to be in it. Because I know some of you are sitting out there puffed up a little bit. This sermon ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm happy-go-lucky having the time of my life, and I'm having no problem with anybody. Let me say something to you. That might change before you get out of the church parking lot. (laughs) Conflict is coming, and some of us are in it, and some of us are headed for it. Before we talk about how to have victory in it, I want to give you some principles that I think are important leading in to our text. So you stay in Matthew chapter 5 because I'm going to be going back to it a little bit. But right now I just want to give you some principles to to think about. First of all, I want you to understand that conflict is a part of life. Conflict is a part of life. I've already made allusion to it. I've already stated that. We live in a world of conflict. We live in a church of conflict. We live in a a world and church where the people that are therein and thereof, are in conflict. Therefore, we are going to have conflict. Conflict is a part of life. Yes, I understand Romans chapter 12, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says we're to live at peace as much as possible with everybody. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have peace with everybody? Ain't going to happen. We live in a world of war. There's wars going on all around us, and there's wars going on in us. And sometimes the wars that are going on in us get out of us and create wars with other people. We are going to have conflict. It's a part of life. We can do everything we can to avoid it, but it's still going to happen. That's why ten times... From verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5 through verse 26 of Matthew chapter 5, the pronoun you is used. Because most of us sit here and say, well, he's probably talking about them. (laughs) He's probably talking about they. No, I'm talking about who? You. Hold your finger up. Now point at you. You are going to have conflict in this world. You can try to avoid it, but you can't escape it. Principle number two. Now we're thinking about these principles because I'm going to lead you into how to have the victory in just a minute. Conflict is not a sin in and of itself. We're all different people. God made us different. Aren't you glad he made us different? Can you imagine a world of 8 billion Jim Palmers? Don't you laugh. Can you imagine a world 8 billion U's? God made us all different. And because we're different in the way we think and the way we feel, because we're different in the education and experiences of our past, because we're different in the way we talk and how we say things and what we do and how we do things, there inevitably is going to come a time when we're going to have a difference of opinion with somebody. And what often happens when you have a difference of opinion with somebody is you get angry with them. Your hair curls up on the back of your neck. Your fist clenches. You come a little bit tight around the mouth. You squint a little bit. Your blood pressure goes up. And from that difference of opinion and that anger comes conflict. Now listen. Disagreement, anger, and conflict, if resolved very quickly, is not a sin. It's just part of the human experience. The problem comes when we allow that difference of opinion and that anger and that conflict to go on and on, constant, continual, progressive, perpetual. That's why the Bible says you can be angry, but sin not. You can be in disagreement and sin not. You can be in conflict and sin not. Settle the matter quickly. Don't let the sun come down on it. Settle it. Because if you don't settle it, it's only going to get worse. Thirdly, unresolved anger and conflict will escalate if it's not dealt with quickly. What happens, Pastor, if I get in a disagreement with somebody, I get angry with somebody, I I have conflict with somebody, and I decide I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to let it go for weeks and months and maybe even years. I'm going to stuff it under my mattress. I'm going to open the closet door and toss it in and close the door and hold it out. I'm I'm just not going to deal with it. What will happen? And verse 22, Jesus talks about three types of anger. I don't have time to go into the, the nuances of the, of the Greek words that he uses, but just take my trust me on this one that the first anger he talks about. And then he talks about raka, the second type of anger. Then he talks about calling somebody a fool, the third type of anger. What Jesus is talking about is a progression of evil. It starts off small and will escalate and grow and increase and intensify if it's not dealt with. Eventually, it will lead to murder. That's its final destination if if not addressed and dealt with sometimes. And so there's a progression that takes place when we refuse to deal with unresolved anger and conflict. That conflict leads to anger. That anger leads to hate. That hate leads to a toxic negativity that will affect the way you think and feel. Those negative thoughts and feelings that are filled with poison then will turn to vicious words. You'll start slurring somebody, murmuring against somebody, gossiping against somebody, using profanity, vulgarity against somebody, degrading somebody verbally. And from those vicious words will come violent actions. You might eventually do physical harm to somebody, striking them with a body part or with an object, abusing them, molesting them, physically harming them. And violent actions that are not dealt with eventually lead to murder. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because the religious leaders of his day said it's okay to be, have hate. It's okay to have bitterness. It's okay to talk bad about people. It's okay to even strike people. As long as you don't murder people, we're keeping the commandment. And Jesus said no. Jesus didn't come to abolish the moral law. He came to take it to another level. He says, if you think that stuff in your mind, that you would like to hurt somebody, you've already murdered them. If you feel that in your heart, you've already pulled the trigger. Because Jesus understood there is a progression of evil. And if you don't deal with it, as Barney Five said, you nip it in the bud early. It will grow into a monstrosity that will destroy a lot of things. Fourthly, anger and conflict, if left unresolved, will lead to destruction. I've already talked about that a little bit. Who will it destroy? Hold your finger up again. Everybody that finger up. Now point at yourself. That's who it'll destroy. Hatred. It's like an acid that you put into a container and acids will always eat the container that holds it. When you allow bitterness inside of you and hatred inside of you, it will eat you up. It will destroy you. And not only you, but it will destroy the very people that you love. It will destroy your spouse. It will destroy your children. It will destroy your grandchildren. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your friends. Because that acid will eat its way out of you and will eat them too. It will destroy you, it will destroy others. You say, what about the person that I hate? It won't bother them a bit. The very person you're hated, you hate. The very person that you want to hurt will be unscathed. And you will destroy yourself and those that you love around you. Fifthly, unresolved anger and conflict will put into decline your relationship with the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice verse 23. Jesus talks about the escalation of anger and conflict. And then he mentions something in verse 23. He sets it to a worship context. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. Now, where's an altar at? It's in the house of worship. So he's talking about worshiping here. He's talking about what we're doing right now. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, if you go to church and worship, and you rememberest that thy brother hath an ought against you, What Jesus is saying is is that this disagreement that leads to anger, that leads to conflict, that leads to hatred, that leads to negativity and poison and toxicity in you, that leads to you saying things you shouldn't say, doing things you shouldn't do, eventually even to the taking of somebody's life. He says this type of sin affects your worship. Isaiah 58, verse 4. Listen to what Isaiah said. He said to his people then, He said, Your fasting and worship ends up in argument, strife, and violence with other people. How do you expect your prayers to be answered? He's, he's asking a question. You come to worship. But how do you expect to have a worship that will be meaningful to you and profitable to you? If you're sitting here right now with anger, with hatred, having said things and done things towards somebody, and you've never resolved it, you've never sought to to do anything about it, Jesus says it will affect your worship. Sometimes we wonder, why do we have cold, dead worship in the church? Why? Why do we pray and our prayers hit the ceiling and bounce back and hit us in the head? Why? Oh, that's easy, Pastor. Because Keith is picking out bad songs to sing. That's easy, Pastor. You're not preaching good sermons. That's easy, pastor. Those people around me are snobs. No, the problem's you. And you can stay here and run everybody else off and the problem will still be here. You can leave here and go somewhere else and the problem will be there. The problem is you. When you come to worship God and you have something in your mind and heart against somebody that's anger, that's hatred, that's vileness, that's wickedness, you wish you could just get them... Back even to kill them. Jesus says, you might as well leave the house of worship because you're not getting anything out of it. That's why, sixthly, before we go to the text, our Lord wants this anger and these conflicts ended. He says, let them go. It doesn't matter who's at fault. Let them go. Matthew 18, 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he shall hear you, you have gained a brother. Where there is a grudge, there will be a nudge. The nudge is from who, Pastor. It's not your spouse sitting next to you, although she might be nudging you. The nudge will be from the Spirit of God. Because as I'm talking right now, maybe the Spirit of God is putting a name on your mind and heart. And He's telling you, you need to do something about this. The nudge is to resolve the grudge. Now having said all of that, let's see how we do that. How do we biblically, in the time we have remaining, resolve a disagreement that has become anger, an anger that's become conflict, a conflict that perhaps now has turned into hatred and bitterness. Maybe it's already led to Saying things you shouldn't have said. Doing things that you shouldn't have done. And you've just kind of picked it up and stuck it up under there. And the Spirit of God is saying to you right now, do something about it. In verse 24, we see the fourfold plan of what to do. So I just want you to look at Matthew 5, verse 24, as we close. Notice what Jesus says now. He says, when the Holy Spirit, verse 23, and the house of worship nudges you about somebody you've got a grudge with, you need to do something. That's what he's saying. What do you do? Verse 24, leave. Leave there thy gift before the altar leave if you have war with another if you have rage with another if you have conflict with another you will not have worship with God you say wait a minute pastor I sang songs today maybe you did but then you didn't get nothing out of them and nobody else did You say, wait a minute, Pastor. I gave a nice check today. I'm glad you did. But you're not going to get blessed for it. Pastor, I served in Sunday school today. I taught Sunday school. I'm glad you taught Sunday school. But it was ineffective. Pastor, I'm going to go witness so I can win a football helmet. Go ahead. Pastor, I'm going to give a testimony. Give a testimony. Pastor, I'm going to shout. Go ahead and shout. Because I can tell you, none of that matters if you're not right with your brother. If you're not right with your sister. Jesus says, leave. Don't worry about worship till you get right. Because if you're not right with your brother, you're going to have the wrong kind of worship. And I won't accept it. And you're not going to get blessed. In Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, David, one of the greatest men of God who has ever lived, he was a man after God's own heart, he understood this. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it to you, Lord. You don't delight in burnt offerings, or I would give them to you, Lord. What you're looking for me now now, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, That you will accept. God wants the inward cleaned up. Then the outward will take care of itself. He wants this cleaned up. That this will be cleaned up. Leave, he says. Then he says, Go. Look at verse 24. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. This means a a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual relocation. You leave the house of worship because it's the wrong kind of worship and you're not getting anything out of it anyway. Temporarily, you leave the worship. You go to the person that you have the issue with. You, you turn the battlefield into a peace table. You lay down your sword with them and you extend your hand of fellowship. You take the initiative to resolve the conflict and end the conflict. You. Not them you. And those who claim to be the most spiritual have the greater responsibility. Are you listening? You go. You deal with the matter. Remember, we don't want to deal with the matter. We want to sweep it under the rug. We want to throw it in the closet. We want to Lift up the mattress and put it in and drop the mattress down. We want to throw it in the trash can. We want to tie it around the cat's neck and run the cat off. By the way, the cat comes back, doesn't he? You can't get rid of a cat. And you won't get rid of what you've done with someone else until you deal with it. I had a lady came in my office some years ago, and she wanted to talk to me about the hatred that she had toward people in her family. And it was a pretty nasty hatred. It all stemmed out of the fact that when she was growing up, she was sexually molested by her stepfather. She hated her stepfather because he willfully knew what he was doing and he did it. And he didn't just do it once, he did it repeatedly. And by the way, if you're a victim of sexual abuse and you're in this congregation... I want you to know you have a friend in this pastor and you have a friend in this staff that you can come to in confidence and tell us. We can put an end to that. Don't allow somebody to use you and abuse you. You don't deserve it and you didn't cause it. And it can be put to a stop. Just speak up. But she filled with hatred towards stepfather, She said, I'd murder him if I could. She had hatred toward her mother because her mother knew it was happening and her mother turned her head because her mother did not want to have to move out of the house. She had no place to go and she didn't have any money. And so she said, I'll just turn my head, let my daughter be abused for the sake of keeping it all together. She hated her teacher and her guidance counselor because she went to them and told them and they essentially stifled it and stuffed it. She would later get married and she would tell her husband what happened to her, what her stepfather did to her. She expected him to go confront him and take him out. And her husband wouldn't do it. She hated him. She hated her children. Because they didn't understand what happened to her. And they were frustrating and aggravating to her. I mean, I've seen a lot of people be hateful, but that lady was filled with hate. And what do you tell somebody that has that kind of hatred? My simple answer was, and I don't even know if it was appropriate. I said, ma'am, why are you allowing your stepfather to still hurt you? It's been years since he did this. And yet, because of your hate, he's still affecting your life today. Why don't you end it once and all and forever? Don't let his ghost keep haunting you. I don't know if she did anything with what I told her or not. But we're to leave. There's no sense in sitting in here if you're not where you need to be. We need to go to the person that has caused us to have such anger and hate in us. By the way, let me say something about forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those things that people have many various ideas and most of them are wrong. What does forgiveness mean? It means I will not dwell on this matter no more. Because many times when we're angry and filled with hate, all we do is sit and stew all the time. We're like a slow cooking pot roast. That never is finished to eat. It just simmers and simmers and simmers all the time. That's all we do. We wake up in the morning thinking about it. We go through the day thinking about it. We go to bed thinking about it. When we forgive somebody, by God's grace, we don't dwell on it no more. Secondly, forgiveness is I will not take what was done to me. And use it against them anymore. As bad as it was, I am not going to use it in a way to extract revenge or be vindictive or or to settle the grudge. I will not do that. I will not dwell on it. That's forgiveness. I will not use what they did against me against them. Thirdly, I will not talk about what they did to me with others. I'm not going to become a one-track record repeating, rehashing over and over again what somebody did to me and my thoughts and feelings on it. I will not dwell on it. I will not use it against them. I will not open my mouth and talk about it to anybody else except God. And I will not allow this incident whatever it might have been, to prevent me from being cordial to them and to others. That's what forgiveness is. It doesn't mean that you'll ever be their friend again. It doesn't mean that you'll ever have a family relationship like you would want again. It doesn't mean that you'll ever trust them again. It doesn't mean you even want to be around them ever again. But it does mean that they're not going to continue to be part of your life now. It's over. You go to the cemetery and you bury the whole thing and you walk out and leave it alone. Don't keep going back and digging the matter up. By God's grace, you quit thinking about it. By God's grace, you don't bring it up against them. You don't bring it up to anybody else. And you be cordial. That's what forgiveness means. Thirdly, Jesus says you leave, you go, and then you be reconciled. Notice in verse 24, he says, be reconciled to thy brother. Reconciliation requires a face-to-face meeting. You address the person that has caused you the hate, the vileness the hurt, the pain. You admit your wrongs to them. Your wrongs to them. Not their wrongs to you, your wrongs to them. Because oftentimes, when we're wronged, we respond with the wrong. And two wrongs never make a what? All right. So you, you admit your wrongs. You acknowledge your hurt. You hurt me you acknowledge the fact that you may have hurt them. You're willing to accept the consequences. Whatever the consequences might be, whatever the restitution of those consequences might be, you accept it. Let me just give you an illustration. If if I'm angry with you, and there's a hatefulness towards you, and it all stems from the fact that I took some money from you and never gave it back. Then what should I do to make matters straight? If we're going to really reconcile this matter and I took $100 from you, I need to give you what back what? No, $60. Just checking to see if you're listening. <laughs> $100 back. See, we make restitution. We accept the consequences. We acquist to their demands. Because, listen, we're responsible for what Jesus has told us to do. We're not responsible for what they're going to do. And they might look at you and say, I hate you. Shut up and get out of here and never come back. And you know what if they say that? And you go. You can't control their attitude and actions, but you control yours. You address, you admit, you acknowledge, you accept, you acquiesce, and then you just ask for forgiveness. They may say, I forgive you. They may say, I'm not forgiving you at all. It doesn't matter what they do. You do what God has nudged you to do. It's called reconciliation. Reconciliation. And then guess what? After you've done that, you leave, you go, you tempt reconciliation, irregardless of what they do, you do what you have to do. And then, verse 24, you finish it out by doing, doing what? Then come. You leave, you go, you reconcile, and then you come. Where do you come? You come back to worship. You come back to the worship with a whole new attitude. I can tell you it'll be like a thousand pound boulder's been taken off your back. The songs will be better. Keith will do a better job. I'll do a better job. The people around you will be better people. You're going to say, God done a miracle work in this church. No, he did a miracle work in you. Come back to worship. In closing, there's three kinds of people. There's peace fakers. Fakers. They never admit there's ever any problem. Never. They refuse to resolve anything. Then there's peace breakers. They cause all the problems. And then there's peacemakers who try to resolve everything. God wants us to be peacemakers. Not fakers or breakers. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.